Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, folks, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome special guests, Altus Power co-CEOs, Greg Felton and Lars Norrell. Altus Power is a market-leading clean electrification company focused on solar power generation. On the show, Greg and Lars discuss the major skills and resources gained in law and investment banking that gave them the confidence to start Altus, the company's current portfolio assets and growth pipeline, the macro thesis behind clean electrification for investors, why CBRE Holdings was an ideal merger partner in going public, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show with Altus Power co-CEOs Greg and Lars. So we are live with Greg and Lars from Altus Power. And I was going through your guys' backgrounds, pretty similar, studied law. We're going to be lawyers, but I guess uh, world life had something else for you. Both of you guys went into finance, had long careers in finance prior to co-founding Altus Power a number of years ago. Could you start things off just giving our listeners a quick background on your career trajectories. Absolutely. Want to start? Sure. Uh, So uh, nice to meet you, and thank you for having us today. Uh, I'm Greg Felton, and I'm a lawyer by training. It's true. I also went to business school, uh, and I started my career uh, in investment banking and ultimately spent the predominance of my career on the buy side of Wall Street building investment platforms. Uh, And that's really a path that I uh, loved and and really wanted to stick with, and I uh, spent many years there. Most recently, I was a partner of Goldman Sachs, where I founded and was the chief investment officer of the credit alternatives business within Goldman Sachs, which really looks to own and um, invest in uh, investment securities, really across the public and private markets of credit, looking for uh, areas of value for investors. And the fixed income background that I have and the career that I spent. Uh, on Wall Street really uh, was was an excellent experience and foundation for what I ultimately did when I left Goldman Sachs in 2013 to join Lars Norell to build Altus Power. So that's quickly my background and history. And as we talk more about Altus Power, hopefully we'll give you a perspective of why fixed income is such an incredible foundation for the business that we're engaged in in clean energy. Lars? Thanks, Greg. My name is Lars Norell. I also went to law school. Uh, I actually uh, went to work as a lawyer uh, at least for a year and a half uh, in the city, in New York City. And after that, went on to uh, a career in investment banking as well. Uh, began at Credit Suisse, where I was in structured credit, and then moved with my team to Merrill Lynch, uh, where again, I was in structured credit and ran uh, the structuring desk of, of U.S. Uh, credit markets. Um, and then on to a company called Cohen & Company, where many of us from Credit Suisse and Merrill Lynch uh, ended up. And in 2009, uh, left Cohen to start Altus. Um, and... It's interesting, the background that Greg and I have accumulated and the markets that we've been active in, and I've spent most of my my life on the sell side, so putting large transactions together and building platforms that could see a lot of throughput and and a lot of growth, all those things are very relevant 
in building Altus. And they prepared us very well being in the solar business right now and, and offering clients, you know, building-based clean electrification, whether it's solar or storage uh, or EV charging, has a lot to do with real estate uh, for us and the nexus of real estate and energy consumption and what we believe should be energy production uh, adjacent to or on top of real estate as well. Many of those things have to do with discount rates, how valuable are assets, how much do they cost to build upfront? How much do they cost to service over time? What are the contractual rights you have to exist on that roof? Is it five years? Is it 15 years? We'd like it to be 25 years because the solar module is warranted from the producer or the vendor of it to function for 25 years. And because in solar, all the investments really upfront, once you have a solar system in place, it's what's called a steady state technology, it means there's no moving parts in it. So you want to make sure that your real estate contract uh, allows you to exist on the client's property for as long as possible. So contract law in being able to read a document and understand what risks and, and exposures you may or may not have, both for you and, and also for your client, are a very important part of what we do every day. And we teach um, the analysts on our desk, and, and some of them come prepared already and others have to be taught. But interestingly enough, our, our backgrounds in, in law have served us really well, uh, which we're very happy about. So it looks like we have uh, four recovering investment bankers on the podcast today. And I wanted to dig into, you mentioned a couple of key themes. Number one is both your backgrounds in fixed income and credit and how that has helped in the development and the growth of Altus, in addition to the real estate aspect of it. So how do these dynamics work together? I assume it's much of what you do is once you have knowledge of how the system works, a lot of it's just a, a modeling exercise in which you put, you have the upfront capital costs, you measure your internal rate of return and go or no go on a project. Yeah, that, that that's correct, Julian. Uh, it, it's effectively a relatively straightforward financial underwriting of expenses and capital investments that you make up front. Uh, and obviously, there's some expenses ongoing. You have to continue to pay insurance. We have to have trucks uh, that roll out to solar systems to inspect them a couple of times a year to make sure that they're performing as they should. Uh, and then on the other side uh, of the ledger, you have income. And the income comes from selling electricity uh, to a building owner uh, or to a tenant that's existing in, in a landlord's building. And the, the, the tenant or the operator of the building is very happy to buy electricity from, from Altus. Our base offering is to sell electricity uh, that's made on the roof above the tenant at a 25% discount to what they pay the grid. So the tenant gets clean electricity that's made immediately above their heads, add a 25% saving to the grid price. Their carbon um, footprint is, of course, reduced dramatically uh, very quickly. And it's a very, it's a very tangible reduction in your carbon footprint. You can see it. The system produces energy immediately above you. Clients and, 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 and employees and other stakeholders are aware of the fact that your building has gone from being an emitter of, of carbon to just being a producer uh, of it as well. So, so those savings that the customer realizes is great for them. And the income is great for us. And so the unit economics that we usually see out of a solar system is around 7 to 9% before leverage. And once we put an asset into our senior funding facility, it's more mid-teens that we see on a traditional asset. And we we find that, um, actually, I'll let Greg talk about that. 
And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF, with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I think that the returns that we're able to generate for our shareholders are, are pretty terrific. But I think importantly, we think about the benefits that we provide to all stakeholders in the mix. So if you think about the real estate owner who's uh, achieving an attractive and lucrative lease stream they wouldn't otherwise achieve by virtue of hosting the solar array, the tenant inside the building or perhaps elsewhere in the community, which we can talk about different sources of power uh, offtake, uh, are all saving money in every single system that we build. There's power savings for the customer. And then there's our investor, our shareholders, who earn attractive returns, and we can talk about the particular financing architecture we put in place. We'll get to that a little bit later, perhaps, but um, we are able to generate attractive returns for our investors. And again, going back to the fixed income backdrop and the foundation that we have, if you look at solar uh, and clean electrification, the solutions we're providing, and you think about the durability and the longevity of the cash flow as compared with all other similar opportunities or investable opportunities an investor might look at be looking to access. This is incredibly attractive, not to mention the ESG attributes of what we're doing, but just the investment income as compared with other investable opportunities is super compelling. And that's what's, of course, led to a lot of capital coming into this market over the last many years. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned kind of three key tenants for the story. So number one, like real estate, they get to rent out basically unused space, generate income. You got the consumer, the ESG aspect of it, they're utilizing clean electricity, um, you know, less pollution, better for the environment. Then from the investor perspective, you mentioned seven to nine percent unleveraged IRRs when you um, finance that with some debt on your balance sheet that turns into more of a mid-teens leveraged IRR return on equity, which is especially compelling in a zero interest rate environment. I was just looking, I think investment grade corporate bonds are yielding about 2.2% and you even have some junk bonds, supposed high yield bonds, sub 3%. So would you mind digging into that uh, investor value proposition and how you structured the company to capitalize on that? Yeah, sure. So this is, uh, I think, pretty uh, important and powerful uh, about Altus Power and the way we designed the business. So the first thing is way back when, when we formed the business, we deliberately set the company up as an operating company. And what's important, Julian, if you looked at the sector and the peer group, we competed in the early days against a number of other players who were set up much more like asset management vehicles, which in particular look like private equity or hedge fund structures. So that would be Uh, funds that had a limited life that ultimately were investing in assets that have 35-year useful life. And of course, there's a mismatch in duration as between the asset and the investor expectation of return of capital. Nothing wrong with that, but we really wanted to stick with the asset for the longest period of time possible, ideally permanently. And that ultimately meant creating an operating company. So the business was set up as an operating company We partnered with uh, high-quality institutional capital partners, which included Blackstone way back eight years ago. They were an early institutional partner. 
and with uh, Blackstone, as well as along the way, Goldman Sachs and Global Atlantic Insurance, these institutions helped us to scale a business which was designed to uh, be positioned to ultimately be one of the largest, if not the largest player in the market. And that's really what we've been building over the last 10 plus years. We've really been trying to get to a position of scale, certainly brand recognition. Uh, and a lot of what we've done uh, over these many years has been designed to uh, facilitate scalability. One element of scalability is financing, putting in place a financing architecture that allowed the company to continue to build and ultimately have optimized and ultimately even the most efficient form of financing. For us on the financing side, uh, getting access to efficient financing meant building a portfolio of scale and diversity. Uh, we got to a place of scale and diversity uh, a number of years ago that allowed us to get the first commercial and industrial solar securitization done with an investment grade rating. We have that facility in place today. We borrow at about three and a half percent. And so we would say that the architecture of our financing and the fact that we can take these assets that we're creating and efficiently finance them in a facility that is not only low cost, but also scalable, that allows us to continue to grow that facility over time, is an important ingredient uh, in the business. Because what it allows us to do is focus on all the other dimensions of the business, which include originating opportunity, designing, engineering, and constructing those opportunities, ultimately, obviously, having a business that can successfully manage those assets, engage with customers, and all the other elements of our business, which are so critical. So each of the um, each of the perspectives uh, as it relates to scalability, and we can, again, drill down in, uh, in different levels of that uh, uh, throughout the organization. But I would say that from Lars and I, my background as it relates to building businesses, we brought with us a philosophy and an approach that was very long-term in orientation and focused on making sure we had a business set up for long-term success. From what I gather, it appears that you know, scale and diversity, diversity in the assets is a key competitive advantage, along with this brand recognition, of which I'm sure the recently announced going public transaction helps with, which we're going to touch on. But prior to getting into that, I do want to see if you can touch on what your current solar asset portfolio looks like, in addition to what the pipeline for future assets looks like. Sure. I'll be happy to talk about that. We are now in 17 states across the nation, from Hawaii in the west um, to Vermont in the northeast. The typical customer of Altus uh, is likely a large corporate uh, that owns and operates its own building uh, or a building that for which it has a very long-term lease and where the energy produced on the roof. So, so the standard product that Altus offers is a building-based clean energy system, most commonly located on a roof of a client. So think a very large distribution center or a super TJ Maxx or something along those lines. And, and just for guidance, those roofs tend to be something like 150 to 200,000 square feet in size. On a, system, on, a, on a roof like that, you can fit about three to four megawatts of solar. And that will likely produce um, uh, energy and, and savings for the customer. And the savings are possibly going to uh, be somewhere around fifty dollars to $100,000 a year uh, for a system that size. And that energy is sold to the customer under a 25-year power purchase agreement. And the power purchase agreement is good for the customer because it only makes them pay for energy that they actually receive. And as we talked about before, our standard form contract or offer is to sell them that energy at a discount 
to their grid rate. So if they were paying 11 cents for brown power uh, yesterday, we're selling them green power at say seven and a half to eight cents uh, today. We very commonly do not knock out 100% of the customer's energy usage. We knock out about 60 to 80%. Uh, the reason we try to stay a little bit below often has to do with the fact that the roof is limited relative to what uh, the amount of power that they consume. But in some circumstances, in, for example, the Northeast, there's more power produced by the solar system in the summer months, so between April to, say, October. So if you're producing, on average, across the year, 70% for a customer, then you're probably producing 100% of that customer's energy in May, June, and July. And you're only producing about 40% of that customer's power usage in December or January or February. And the overall average then across the year is 70%, and you don't want to overproduce in the summer. That's why you land that, uh, at, at that uh, number. We also sell power, Julian, to school systems in universities and in other educational institutions. But the most typical customer is a corporate one uh, with the solar system, either in the roof or in the parking lot next to them. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. Find out more at investabtc.com. So when you talk about your typical customer, does a big topic of, of in the investment world has been ESG, particularly the environmental aspect over the last number of years. Are you, is your typical customer a public company that's really looking to, to juice up their ESG score? Is that, is that a trend that you're really seeing in your customer base? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and several of our customers are public um, companies. But when we built Altus uh, about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, we very quickly noticed that those presentations to corporate customers or public enterprises where we focused on the savings and allowed the customers themselves to sort of get all excited about the ESG benefits and the green nature of the power that we were going to produce, those usually ended the best. When when we mentioned the green benefits, even though we did it in a very subtle and slight manner, it starts to sound like you're sort of lecturing the customer a little bit about what they should do. And, and, and that uh, felt like it wasn't the right approach to us. So we've, we've taken the tack of leading with savings and economics and, and benefits that from a monetary perspective uh, are immediately evident to, to, to customers. However, and, and to your point, the recent trend line, let's say over the last 18 or so months, is a complete about face among all basically aspects of our customer base, whether it's a high school in Connecticut or California or a hospital in, in Hawaii or a corporate customer in California. All of them are ultra focused on the ESG angle uh, right now, to the point where some customers 
seem at least to be less interested in savings today than perhaps what's historically been the case. We don't think we're going to abandon uh, our savings um, you know, theme and, and continue to offering customers um, savings from our clean electricity. But if they are quicker to act and allow us to move faster with the permitting and the installation and all these other aspects of building a solar system and then turning it on, then obviously we're, we're very happy about that. So that's something we're noticing right now. One other question I had with regards to that, and I think that's very interesting that the focus has shifted more to the environmental impact and less away from the economics. On, on the insurance side, as is, is you'd mentioned that as, as one of the, the costs that, that have to be factored in, how is the trend with insurance been? Is, is that something that's coming down over time and becoming more and more competitive amongst the insurance providers, or, or how is that working? Yeah, there's a, definitely a, an evolution there that has happened. If you'd imagine in the early years of solar, there wasn't a lot of history and experience and data to allow the underwriters of insurance to really price that efficiently. And as there's been a lot more history and, uh, uh, again, uh, proliferation of solar, uh, both residential and commercial industrial, as well as utility scale. The insurers have gotten a lot smarter and therefore have been able to sharpen their pencil with respect to thinking about how to price insurance in the appropriate way. So yeah, that's definitely been moving in the right direction. There are also, uh, Michael, a number of other uh, elements that have been moving in the right direction. And we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about just the general theme of solar installation costs, as well as operating costs coming down over time. That's for sure, as this industry has evolved and matured, a lot of the uh, costs, both uh, CapEx, the initial capital costs, as well as the operating costs have become more efficient. That has absolutely been the case. And how are you seeing the the storage market? That's something that, that always gets brought up with, with regards to renewables is historically the lack of, of storage options. Are you seeing improvement in, in this area what are some of the recent developments um, and, and, and areas that you are involved on that side? Sure. <clears throat> um, the backdrop uh, is one where solar is an amazing resource um, that for obvious reasons will be a, an integral part of the mix. That is to say, solar can be made inside the congested areas of the grid, delivering power to users uh, from the rooftops or parking lots but what solar can't do on its own is deliver that power at 8 p.m. after the sun is set. So storage is transformative to solar. It completely enhances the value offering that solar energy brings. It takes the intermittency away and allows users, for example, hospitals that really do need to have energy flowing into them to secure the ability to conduct operations and, and other things late at night or early in the morning. It allows them to, to mix solar into their energy mix uh, as well, which wasn't the case before uh, storage. So we've taken, the, um, uh, we've taken the position at Altus that basically everything we do from now on, and we started this about 18 months ago, is, is solar and storage. There's no storage group at Altus. Every single person who models transactions, every single person who designs PV systems to go into parking lots or roofs is also designing storage as a component of, of that solar system. We're currently installing storage in many markets, but there are some markets where we are not adding storage currently. We're still sizing it to make sure that what we have an idea of what the storage component of a solar system would look like when the business uh, model exists to, to implement it. But there are some markets where there are no 
state-based support. Um, uh, there's no state-based support for storage, or perhaps there are not a lot of demand charges, uh, which makes storage very worthwhile. Uh, and, and in other circumstances where there's not a good revenue stack available yet for storage. And in that case, we don't install it. We're not mindlessly going to add storage, even when it doesn't make economic sense. Storage is added if the customer wants a longer delivery window of solar power, or if they want resiliency, or if the particular state in question has support programs that make it economically viable for us to deploy capital into storage. And we should add that more and more states fall into that category. Uh, some that we are working in right now, Hawaii, California, New York, uh, soon to be Connecticut, Massachusetts, all those markets are great for storage. Uh, and, and when the business case uh, or the business rationale exists, then we'll add storage. We have a couple of uh, suppliers and, and uh, companies that uh, we work with on that front. We've we built um, storage together with STEM. Uh, we own storage from Tesla. Uh, we are working directly with some of the inverter manufacturers that we have otherwise bought inverters from for many, many years. SunGrow is, is one of them. And there's a, there's a lot of different offerings in the market, all of uh, them very qualified um, entities with, with a good handle on the technology. But it's important for us that we can design and scope the storage element of a system in-house. We, we need that expertise here at Altus as well. Very happy to work with partners, but ultimately we need to make sure that we know how to operate it, how it integrates with the solar system so it can deliver value to the, to the customer. Sounds like there's a ton of very attractive growth opportunities, both on just rolling out these solar portfolio assets and then incorporating storage and all that. And to capitalize on those growth opportunities, obviously, you guys need access to capital. So I assume that was one of the reasons why you announced recent $1.58 billion merger with CBRE Holdings. You guys are going public. So what are you looking to accomplish aside from raising capital by becoming a public company? Yeah, no, I think, uh, appreciate the question. So first off, we were uh, quite happy building our business privately. And I want to reiterate, we've had an excellent partner in Blackstone who has provided us with industry-leading financing for the last um, eight years. So as a private company, we feel like we're incredibly well-positioned. We have competitive capital today, uh, but we are absolutely looking to uh, continue to grow at a pace that will require more capital. And we believe the act of going public is in and of itself a way to accelerate our growth for a variety of reasons, including access to incremental capital, including increasing the brand awareness of Altus. I want to kind of highlight the particular way we're going public, uh, which is, of course, with a merger with CBRE and what CBRE brings to the table. They're not just a financial SPAC partner. They are a highly strategic partner. CBRE controls or manages over 8 billion square feet of real estate. And as you heard Lars say earlier, real estate is really at the core of what we do. And so having a partner with that position where they can effectively introduce us to and provide us access to these tremendous opportunities, ultimately globally, but initially nationally, is an important strategic rationale for why CBRE represents an excellent partner. There's a number of other elements of their SPAC that are important um, that I think it's worth referencing. Number one, uh, they are, uh, by virtue of their SPAC setup, they, they affected their SPAC in what's called the sale format, which means that their promote, unlike a traditional SPAC sponsor, is not granted upfront. It's instead earned over time 
as the stock performs. So they earn their way into an incentive structure that's incredibly important. You know, also CBRE is our largest pipe investor. We raised a $275 million pipe uh, as part of the total $678 million raise. So as our largest pipe investor, uh, as well as a provider of a $150 million backstop, which is essentially there to, to buy any stock that any existing SPAC investor might not want to continue to hold. They have an enormous amount of financial commitment that they've brought to bear to this transaction. So they're an incredibly aligned investor. Um, Blackstone will remain a significant, in fact, the largest institutional partner. And so while we're going public, we are retaining all of the connectivity to Blackstone, Blackstone's you know, financial interest, their strategic position with, as a partner of the company. But we're adding a new and incredibly impactful partner in CBRE. I'm glad you did mention why and what made CBRE a good SPAC merger partner, because one criticism of the SPAC structure that we hear from shareholders is, oh, the sponsor gets all these cheap shares. Uh, they have no skin in the game. But I'm glad you mentioned that sales structure and in, in that the sponsor only does well if the regular shareholders do well. So it's important to have that alignment and, and really kind of putting their money uh, where their mouth is, so to speak. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on, once this going public merger is completed, you guys are going to be up in trading under the symbol AMPS. There are a number of clean energy producers in the marketplace. Why should investors pay attention to Altis? What are your key differentiating factors? Besides good management, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna lead with that argument, um, Julian. <laughs> we're gonna try, try to come up with a better value offering than that. We're we're um, very very happy to be in a category of one, at least for the moment, as it relates to to ourselves, what we have to offer in our in our backers, sponsors, and customers and pipeline, and what some of the other companies that you mentioned uh, are involved in. Obviously, there's some fantastic companies in the residential solar space. The residential solar space is is very close to what we do, but it's not the same as what we do. Uh, there's a handful of, of people uh, who are public entities. Brookfield is one of them who have utility-scale solar systems as well, in addition to CNI Solar. Utility-scale solar share the cost benefits of installation that we enjoy in CNI Solar. When you build very large solar systems, you can press the cost, the unit cost of each watt of installed solar down a little bit. But unlike utility-scale solar, Altus sells energy at retail prices. We're not pumping energy into the grid out in some desert faraway location. We're inside the congestion zone, sitting right on top of a building that, that has a university or a hospital or a TJ Maxx or some other corporate in it. And so the value of each unit of energy, kilowatt hour of energy that we create, is superior to that of the utility-scale uh, solar, solar players. Unlike the residential scale solar players that have a very high unit cost when they install because they build very small systems, we have an excellent uh, economy of scale in play uh, when we build our solar system. So we think that the particular real estate, uh, no pun intended, that we occupy in between utility scale and residential scale is actually the most attractive spot to be in. And as it relates to that particular space, Altus is the only publicly traded company that is a pure play on that particular asset class. And with all the customers that we have and the fact that we're organized, as Greg said, to basically hold 
these solar systems for term. We have permanent capital uh, and we have very long duration senior funding facilities. Uh, we're effectively able to house um, both customers and assets in Altus permanently and we'll use that, shall we say, incumbency to continue to deliver value to those customers by adding storage, EV charging, and other services over time. Uh, so we really like the space we occupy and we love the structure that we've been able to uh, come up with, um, fortunately. That makes sense. Thank you for clarifying the key differentiating factors and why you think that investors should pay attention to the stock. So prior to letting you go, Greg and Lars, I did want to ask one more question. As uh, enterprising individuals who started in law school, did the investment banking thing, and now co-CEOs of a soon-to-be public company, any nuggets of advice, keys to success thus far? Yeah, I think that uh, absolutely. I think that first of all, building a business is not a trivial endeavor and it takes a a significant commitment and a long-term mindset. I I think Lars and I uh, had the benefit of successful Wall Street careers, which I think plays nicely into what we're building today. We picked an industry with incredible secular tailwinds. Um, We also, as you heard, focused on building the right structure. But importantly, we also aligned with the right shareholders and we're focused on building the right culture. And the culture uh, is an incredibly important ingredient. It means having the right employees and setting a tone for this long-term success and ultimately having everyone win together. Every employee of Altus Power is a shareholder of Altus Power, and we think that's incredibly important because we really have a mindset here and a philosophy to bring everyone into this journey and this exciting future together. And so we're excited to build this business. It's still early days. We, We call it the end of the beginning here at Altus Power as we approach of being a public company, there's a lot of work to do, but we're excited to execute. I um I want to add one one little thing. Uh, you should get really really good at Microsoft Excel. <laughs> but, but other than that, I agree with Greg. Okay, great. Well, there you have some uh, keys to success. So thank you, Lars. Thank you, Greg, uh, for summarizing the Altus Power story. So super exciting. If investors want to learn more, check out the stock currently trading under CBAH, that is the CBRE holdings stock. And once this deal closes, is expected in the fourth quarter, the symbol will be AMPS AMP. So starting off with a sweet ticker symbol. So thank you guys uh, for coming on the show today. Wish you the best of success. And it's an exciting story. Looking forward to following the developments. Thank you. Thank you very much. We enjoyed it. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.